Good morning. Turning your Bibles to uh, Psalm 75. We uh, started a, a while back with uh, Psalm 73, which just happened to be scripture reading today. I say just happened to be, you know, that God's sovereign over it all. Um, and uh, the reason why we're working through this is I chose um, Psalm 73 through 83. Those are the Psalms of Asaph. I've chosen to preach through those as uh, I have opportunity. And so uh, a year and a half or so back, we did Psalm 73. Uh, I believe it was about a year ago we did Psalm 74. And uh, today we get to Psalm 75. Um, these are Psalms of Asaph, who, if you remember, uh, was a choir master for David um, during that time of uh, the people of Israel. Uh, you might also remember from Psalm 74 last time, um, the psalmist is pleading for God to arise and uh, defend your cause, is the title of it. And we saw that God seemed to be inactive during that psalm. Well, now today we find ourselves in Psalm 75, and God will judge with equity. And we're going to see the people of Israel were praising him for, for his justice for his judgment, for his equity. So let's uh, start off with a word of prayer, and uh, then we'll get into the message. God, we thank you that um, you are a God of justice. We live in a world that is full of uh, injustices or apparent injustices, Sometimes they affect us directly. Sometimes they affect us uh, because they affect the, the loved ones around us. And we feel for those who are hurt by injustices. God, help us now as we dig into your word and see how this applies to us. Help us to be uh, humble, willing to learn something from your word, and uh, ready to change as we go home. Help us not to just be hearers, but to also be doers of your word, um, that uh, <clears throat> the message would sink in and we'd remember it as we go throughout our week and apply it to our daily lives. Um, we pray for um, our hearts as they're easily distracted. Pray that you'd help us now to focus on your word, uh, eliminate the distractions around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 75 uh, for the believer, um, my point that I'm going to try to make today is, for the believer, God's justice is comforting and praiseworthy because he will make all wrongs right and has justified us in Christ. For the ble Let me just say that one more time. For the believer, God's justice is comforting and praiseworthy because he will make all wrongs right and has justified us in Christ. Some of you this week may have witnessed uh, portions of the prosecution of Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, how many of you have seen the video clips where the judge is basically reprimanding the, the prosecutor? Uh, that poor prosecutor is probably going to become the face of many uh, new memes. Um, I, I've, in fact, I've already seen one or two uh, with his face on them, the poor guy. Um, we, may we may find their exchange funny. However, uh, one thing in their, in their exchange was noteworthy. Uh, the judge, even though he is the highest authority in that courtroom, 
appealed to the authority of the United States Constitution and the Supreme Court's interpretation of it. Um, And we're going to talk today about God as the judge of the world. But as you know, and as we're going to see, God does not need any authority outside of himself to be a judge. God is a judge on his own authority. So let's read Psalm 75 here. And as we read this psalm, I want you to take note of who is speaking. There are two primary people speaking in this passage. Um, And uh, one is the narrator, and the other one is God as judge. And so just pay attention to that as, as best you can, and then I'll bring it out later on. Psalm 75, verse 1, or we'll start with the title here, To the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a psalm of Asaph, a song. So this quite literally was a song being sung by the people of Israel um, to praise God. Verse 1, we give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with haughty neck. For not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up. But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. From the hand of the Lord, there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it. And all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. Starting off in verse 1, according to Do Not Destroy, in the title there, could be referring to the the tune that the song was set to. Um, That's what most commentators agreed on. Um, Psalm 57 through 59 also have that in the title, according to Do Not Destroy. So it's almost like Do Not Destroy is a title, or is a tune, sorry, uh, that this psalm could be set to as as the people of Israel were singing it. And then verse 1, we give thanks to you, O God, we give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. And that's what we've done today, and I love how um, sometimes Sundays um, are planned. You know, Aaron, Aaron or Luke will pick the songs to go along with the message. And then uh, sometimes it just happens to all come together. And then we, in the call to worship, there was, um, we were, let's just turn over to there because we're close to it. Psalm 67, 3 and 4. Verse 4 said, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For Why? For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. So here, back to our passage, Psalm 75, the people are praising God. They're giving thanks. And what are they giving thanks for? They're giving thanks for the fact that God's name is near and they're recounting God's wondrous deeds. So the, the congregation of Israel is giving thanks to God for who he is and for what he does or has done. Oftentimes, the Israelites referred back to their deliverance from Egypt as one of God's major wondrous deeds for them, Um, and they would oftentimes sing about it, so they could be singing about it here. But God does not only do wondrous deeds, he is also near to them. It says, my name is near. 
and that quite literally uh, can be refer, referring to um, God's name being a familiar name to them in conversation. God's name is something that comes up all the time. It's near to them. And also uh, uh, of noteworthy um, is that God is transcendent yet imminent. So God is, is doing wondrous deeds. He's doing stuff that's very powerful, but yet he is close to them. And that is God for us too, right? He's doing great deeds for us. He has done great deeds for us, but yet his name is near and he is near to us. God is above anything and more powerful than anything else in this world, but at the same time, he is concerned with and cares for the everyday dealings that we have on this earth. What wondrous deeds has he done for us? And how has he shown us that he is near? Prayer meeting this past Wednesday night, uh, we were going around the room sharing what God's teaching us. And that was a great time uh, of sharing the ways that God is doing wondrous deeds and is near to us. God is powerful and working today. His wondrous deeds are not just assigned to these Bible times. Um, We humans need to be continually reminded of these things. And that's why... Um, we're challenged here to give thanks to God for this. Thanksgiving's going to be here uh, next week already, right? And uh, that's also a special time to look back on the last year of God's wondrous deeds to us. It's easy to focus on our physical blessings, but we also have many spiritual blessings. We have a God who has loved us enough to give us salvation. He cares enough to sanctify us, and he has given us a great church family. This psalm is uh, admonishing us to worship God and to recount what he has done as part of that. We often sing songs of worship for the gospel, but do not allow yourself to become complacent or ungrateful for the things that we sing about. It's easy to sing and get excited about a song. It's another thing to think about uh, the content of that song, what we're thanking and praising God for. And then verses 2 through 5, we're going to see that God chooses the time that he judges. God chooses the time that he judges, verses 2 through 5. You might have noticed that in the ESV, there's quotation marks around these verses. And uh, I believe that that, me- that is setting that up- this uh, section apart as God speaking about his own judgment. We're going to see four major points based on the I statements. Um, first of all, God has authority over the time of judgment. God has authority to determine what is just, and God has authority to keep the world from falling apart. And lastly, God has authority to command humility. We're going to see those four things from these four verses. So first of all, God has authority over the time of judgment. Uh, We see this in the first part of verse 2. At the set time that I appoint... And uh, an application from this for us is we oftentimes get impatient with God's judgment or his justice. We look around the world and we see all the injustices going on and we want justice for this, for all of our, for all this going on in the world. We want it right now, right? But God here is saying, I, I, I am appointing a time that I will judge. Uh, God has authority, secondly, to determine what is just. What is just. And we find, this, find that from the 
second part of verse 2, when God says, I will judge with equity. Not only does God have authority to determine, to determine what is just, he also has the sole authority to determine equity. And fair and equal are, and just are words that are thrown around in the news today. But um, aren't you thankful that it's God who determines what is just? If it's our president determining what's just, if it's our Congress determining what's just, if it's individual police officers determining what's just, our world would be a mess. But God has authority to determine what is just. He also has the sole authority to determine. So not only can he, but he does. And um, nobody else has authority outside from what God gives. As the judge of this world, God has all authority. God is under no law. God does not appeal to an authority outside of himself, would be another way to say it. Looking back at his Old Testament name, Yahweh, the self-existent one. I am that I am. Human governments or authorities only have authority to make judgments because God has given them that authority. I believe we find that in Romans 13. And then back to my opening illustration of the judge in the Kyle Rittenhouse case. He speaks on behalf of the law which he is underneath. Furthermore, all human laws of right and wrong find their support in God's moral law. God alone legislates morality or what is right. The third point from these verses is God has authority to keep the world from falling apart. We find this in verse 3. <clears throat> when the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. God alone created the world and still holds it together. This is another aspect of God's judgment. When right and wrong become so subjective that each person has their own version of justice or equality, God holds the world as peaceful as it is today. If it were, for, if it were not for God's common grace, everyone would erupt in a war against everyone else. If you don't believe me, just look at the last year and a half on the news, okay? God as the... Uh, um, and so you might say... Um, you know, how's that played out? Um, a good commentator said, God has the stabilizing strength within the structure. It can be spelt out in terms of common grace, his gift of wholesome influences and institutions which shore up even a godless society, but also more directly by his holding all things into being, by his guiding hand on events, and by his truth in certain men's lives. The last thing we're going to see about God's judgment from these verses, verses 2 through 5, is in verses 4 and 5. God has authority to command humility. I say to the boastful, do not boast, and to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with haughty neck. So you might ask, what does it mean to lift up your horn? We say that all, we say that all the time, right? No. So, um, the ESV study Bible says, The horn is a symbol of power, and thus to lift it up or exalt it is to make a public assertion of power. So God here is warning the ungodly not to lift up their horn and promises that he will lift up the horn of the faithful. The term lift up uh, recurs throughout the psalm uh, in verses 4 through 6 that we're reading right now and then later on in verse 10. 
So to cut off the horns in verse 10 is to render powerless or to humiliate. So just, just in review, these, these four verses we've seen, God has authority over the time of judgment. God has authority to determine what is just. God has authority to keep the world from falling apart. And God has authority to command humility. Next, we're going to see uh, in verses 6 through 8 that God chooses the people that he judges. God chooses the people that he judges. That's a little intimidating, right? No, because if, you've, if you know God, he is also a gracious God. For not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it. And all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. So we see here in these verses that God has the authority to choose who he will give his wrath to and who he will not. So lifting up does not come from this world or anyone in it. God is the judge of who gets lifted up and who is put down. God chooses who he will save and who he will not. And then you see in verse 8, God's cup of wrath. God's cup of wrath is a common image used throughout the Old Testament prophets and in the book of Revelation. The image is of the full fury of his wrath being poured out against sin and unrighteousness. And not only is God pouring it out, but the wicked are drinking it. And they're drinking all of it. Down to the dregs is referring to you know, when you have that uh, pot of coffee and some of the grounds got through, and at the end you pour, you think you've poured all of it out, but then there's that still little bit in there with the, with the little coffee uh, grounds, the four or five that got through the filter. That's to the dregs. So literally, these people are taking all of the wrath of God, and God is giving, them, giving it to them. Um, the CSB states, it, states the last part of verse 8 a little bit more clearly. It says, all the wicked of the earth will drink, draining it down to the dregs. So then you ask yourself, God's choosing who he's going to give judgment to and who he's not. He's choosing who he's going to lift up and who he's going to put down. And then it goes into verse 8, and it says that he's mixing this cup of wrath for the wicked of the earth. So you have to ask yourself, since all have sinned, should all of the wicked of the earth be included in this wicked, in this, in this group called the wicked? Should all the, should all the wicked include all people since all have sinned would be another way of asking that. God is reserving this cup of wrath and judgment for the time that he was talking about in verse 2, at the set time that I appoint. I will judge with equity. So ask yourself, are you part of the wicked? Are you part of the group that God is going to give his full fury of wrath? We'll get to that later, okay? Don't leave. Verse 9. Um, the psalmist now turns into personal worship. Personal worship. 
So we saw in verse 1 there was corporate worship or corporate praise. Now in verse 9, we're seeing it personalized. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. Now it's, not, it's no longer God speaking. God speaking was just in verses 2 through 5 that we've covered so far. Then verses 6 through 8 was the narrator speaking. Now verse 9, it's the narrator speaking again. If you're looking at the ESV verses, they're kind of each in sections. But now that we get to verses 9 and 10, um, we're going to be splitting those up because there's, there's two different people speaking uh, from my interpretation. So the psalmist here is concluding with a call to action that we would individually praise God for how he judges. Um, if we're the wicked that's, ref- that's being referred to in verse 8, that's about to get the cup of wrath, do you think we'd be praising God for that? We'll get to it, okay? Um, putting that, that part aside, though, um, just speaking to you as believers, um, how easy is it to talk about God's grace? Pretty easy, right? How often do you bring up God's judgment in conversation? Pretty rarely, right? Um, so I think, you know, one, one application that we're going to take from this psalm is don't be ashamed of speaking of God's judgment or God's wrath, but don't, don't exclude it from God's grace and his love, his mercy, his goodness either. But it's our human minds can't comprehend all of God, right? And so we can really only speak about one characteristic at a time, and sometimes it's hard to bring those together. A good book would be uh, A.W. Tozer's Knowledge of the Holy would be a good one to help you. But even that doesn't touch the surface of God's character. So we tend to emphasize the parts of God that we like best. Um, However, God is not divided. So now you might be saying, though, if I am part of the wicked because I have sinned, again, how can I rejoice in God taking judgment on me? Hold that thought, okay? Don't leave. So now, verse 5, God's, uh, sorry, point number 5, verse 10, God's final word. The uh, CSB adds uh, quotation marks around this last verse, which indicates that it is, again, God speaking, just like God was speaking in verses 2 through 5. Um, the NIV adds the words, who says, to the beginning of verse 10, to make it state, um, coming off of verse 9, the God of Jacob, who says, all the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. So now we see that word wicked again. It's the third time that this word wicked has been mentioned. God says to the wicked in verses 4 and 5 to not lift up their horn against him. Then verse 8, he talks about the cup of wrath and judgment that God is reserving for the wicked. And now verse 10, God says that he will cut off all the horns of the wicked, which we saw was, a, was an aspect of power or we could say individuality. You have to ask yourself, am I part of this wicked group? Romans 3.21, sorry, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then we know from Romans 6 that God's wrath, um, we will, sorry, but the wages of sin is death. Um, so I don't know about you, but I do not want to be part of this wicked group. Do you? No? So I sure hope this wicked group does not include me, Right? 
So how can we avoid being part of this wicked group when we are sinners, right? Because we all are sinners. But if we're sinners, does that include us in the wicked group? Well, we know that it is only for those of us who are believers, I'm speaking to you, it is only through Christ's work on the cross and our belief in him that we are not included in this group of being wicked. Notice the, the verse, he divides the wicked and the righteous. Can we become righteous in our own strength? No. Well, so does that mean we're wicked? No. If you've accepted Christ. So Christ is what divides us from being wicked and makes us righteous. For those of us who have been chosen to be lifted up and to believe in Christ's work for us, for the elect, that's us who are believers, Christ has already observed, absorbed the full fury of God's wrath on himself in his death on the cross. We have God's imputed righteousness and are justified. We are declared righteous. We are declared righteous. So those of us who have believed, are we in the wicked group? No. Praise the Lord. So let's read Romans three twenty-one through 26, because this talks about how in the world can a just God overlook sin? How can a just God who has to um, judge sin with equity, with fairness, how does he declare people righteous? Romans three twenty-one through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are naturally wicked. And, or you could put the word but, but are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness, or you could put the word justice in there, or you could put God's judgment in there at the present time so that God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So how are we not part of this wicked group? It's through Jesus, through Jesus' death. Um, and through Jesus' death for our sins, by him taking God, all of God's wrath, he has appeased God's judgment on us because we naturally deserve God's full cup of wrath, just like everyone else in the world. But we know we're not the good people, um, except by Christ's righteousness that has been given to us by faith as a gift. So God is perfectly just as the judge to give us Christ's righteousness because of Christ's death and resurrection. We are justified through his work alone, nothing of our own works. God made you righteous through Christ, assuming that you're a believer. If a righteous, just God created a way for me to be made righteous, then that is just. Because remember, who chooses what's just and who, what's not? It's God choosing it. So if God chooses to take my sin and place it on Christ, and Christ's robes of righteousness to be put on me, then praise him. Now, um, assuming that you're a believer, now that even as we are being sanctified, 
God is still just to forgive us. We're reminded of this in 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, so that might be a little incomprehensible. You may have to think about this some more as you, as you go home. But God can be just by giving people deserving of hell, hell, and he can be just by giving us who are believers, Christ, to take his full fury of wrath and give us his righteousness. God is just to do both. And verse 10 states that he will then glorify the righteous. Glorify um, or be lifted up. Um, we will get to be in, in glory with him. So we are the righteous because of Christ. We can also rejoice in his judgment because of the gospel, because Christ has taken his judgment for us. So how do we apply all of this to us today? Number one, worship God for his perfect judgment. Don't skip over God's judgment and wrath when praising him. Praise him even for his perfect judgment. Secondly, trust God to take vengeance on injustices. And remember that that might not happen today. It might not happen in our lifetime. But in the end, God wins and God makes all things right. And we should take comfort in knowing that God is judge. When I mention injustices in the world today, your mind probably goes to social or racial justice issues, health care, the refugee crisis, income gap, food scarcity, election integrity, abortion, or abuse. God, those, those are, that's an overwhelming list, right? Um, but God chooses what is just and what is not. And God alone legislates what's just and what's unjust. And in the end, God will judge all wickedness. All those things that I just listed off that seem unjust to us, God will judge um, those who are deserving of his wrath. Point uh, of application number three, be humble before God, realizing that if you are a believer, God has chosen you to be saved from his righteous judgment of wrath. That should humble us and it should cause us to worship him. And if you're here today and you are not a believer, I urge you to put your faith in Christ. Apart from him, you do not have a leg to stand on against God's judgment of that full cup of wrath. And then uh, lastly, another point of application. The, it's not on the, on the uh, screen there. But uh, as, you're, as you're out um, amongst unbelievers this week, as I'm sure most of you will be, let me just encourage us all, encourage myself as well, um, that when a topic of social injustice or other um, supposed or real injustice comes up in conversation, turn that back around to our faith in God and the God that makes all things right. And uh, I trust that that will um, be an encouragement to you as you seek to witness this week. So let's close in prayer and uh, thank God for who he is as judge. God, we thank you that you are the judge of the world. We thank you that you um, judge with equity and it's based on your time, not ours. And God, even though sometimes we have a hard time comprehending why 
you would, you would choose some for salvation and some for damnation. God, we thank you that you have chosen us who are believers to receive Christ's righteousness. We are so undeserving of that. We are wicked in our hearts, in our flesh. We are sinners. And yet, yet you've chosen to justify us and to now sanctify us and then to glorify us. And you are just and you are the judge of all of that. God, help us as we go out. There are people hurting around us. Help us to give them the hope that you are the judge and you will make all things right. And God, help us to, to even trust you as, as maybe we seek to, to help people that we come across who are hurting and who have had unjust things done to them. But God, help us to, through it all, point people to Jesus who is the ultimate Savior. So help us to be encouraged by your, by your justice, your judgment. Help us to remember that that essentially makes God's um, or Christ's death possible um, because you uh, chose it. We thank you for it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.